Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Full Stack Journey podcast. I'm thankful you've decided to join me today as I talk with a guest about the journey toward becoming a full stack engineer. If you're wondering what a full stack engineer is, I define a full stack engineer as someone who's capable of working across multiple silos and moving among multiple layers of the modern data center stack. Full stack engineer may not be an expert in all these areas, but should have expertise in at least one of these areas and some reasonable knowledge, perhaps even proficiency in several more. Joining me today as a special guest on the podcast is Matt Oswalt. Matt, uh, welcome and thanks for being on the podcast. No, thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. Now, you and I know each other fairly well. We, we've uh, worked together on a number of projects, met uh, various conferences, but uh, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself or share some information about yourself for the listeners who may not be familiar with you? Sure. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I focus primarily within the network infrastructure realm, lately around network automation and a lot of software development specifically. Uh, and, and this is, this is, this is kind of weird. My, my career thus far has been, uh, a little bit messy and unintentional. I started actually in college working for a large retail chain developing some software for them for their telecommunications team. And that sort of naturally led me into network infrastructure primarily because of just sheer proximity to that team. Uh, it was really difficult for me to not sort of peek over the fence and, and look at that kind of stuff. So that led to me sort of doing a networking-focused topic for my senior thesis. And then when I graduated, I did quite a few years of network consulting. And now I'm focused almost entirely on software development within that realm, wholly within network infrastructure, and uh, sort of marrying the two. And it's and it's been a, it's been a wild ride. So you started out as a more of a developer, an application developer, software developer, got pulled into networking and now have managed to fuse the two of them together to do software development within a network infrastructure context. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's very cool. Very cool. And speaking of networking and development and network automation, I think there's, there's probably a project that you'd be interested in talking about that I'm involved with as well. You want to take a moment and talk about that? Sure, absolutely. So, yeah, we, uh, you and I, and uh, and as, as well as Jason Edelman, we uh, we are collectively uh, working on a on a book called Network Programmability and Automation. Uh, this is a book focused almost entirely on on making sure that the the network engineer of today is well equipped for what we uh, believe is that is going to be some of the workflows and technologies involved with uh, the networks of tomorrow. Making sure that all of those automation techniques and and tools specifically are are very consumable from that perspective. Yes, and that's a that's a really exciting project. I'm super thrilled to be working with you and and Jason on the project. So appreciate the opportunity to participate. Folks who are listening to the podcast will have a link to the early access edition of the book available in the show notes. So if you're interested in picking up a, a pre-release copy of that, you'll be able to follow that link and and do that. Great. So that's good information, uh, Matt. A uh, little later in the podcast, I'd like for you to be able to share any sort of contacts where users may be able to follow you online or, or reading of your writing. So we'll, we'll do that before we wrap up. But let's go ahead and, and kind of get started into the discussion. I think that in, in talking with you before the podcast, you kind of know that one of my goals here is to provide very, very practical, very actionable information for folks who today are primarily siloed, siloed into a particular infrastructure category. Maybe they're just a networking gal. Maybe they're just a server guy, whatever the case may be. And we've been tossing around this term of the full stack engineer. So I want to, if you could just real quick, kind of give me your idea. You heard me define what I believe a full stack engineer to be. What is your view 
of what a full stack engineer is. And, and I'll, I'll just say, I think that you are a great example of someone who is well on their way to being sort of what I would define a full stack engineer. Sure. And, and thank you. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that, uh, I'm on my way. I, I don't think that the, that the idea of a full stack engineer is, is, uh, is really a destination. I mean, the, the, I guess the main problem I have with, with the term, uh, if I were to have a problem would be that the, the word full, uh, is, is a finite term. It implies that the stack is, is finite. And I, and I really don't believe it is. I mean, if you think about the way that technology is exploding uh, in the past few years, which is pretty traditional. I mean, technology has always been sort of growing very fast, but there, there's, there's really no shortage of technical areas that you can get involved with. So taking that, uh, into that context, if you, if you talk about the idea of a full stack engineer, I mean, if, if you were to use that term, I, I think it's more about, as you said, as you alluded to the, the journey of, of really always moving to that next area and, and sort of challenging yourself. So you know, I, I believe there's there's a certain kind of person that's you know never quite content with staying in their own little bubble. Um, you know, they're always peering over the fence to see what's 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 going on over the, over there. Uh, that looks interesting. Uh, maybe not so much uh, you know attention deficit sort of things, but but in in a way that's actually kind of healthy because you're always challenging yourself. And so I think that's what I would be thinking of if I uh, if I were to define the term full stack engineer, somebody that's always trying to look for that next step. Well, I I completely agree with you. I wholeheartedly believe that the the idea of being a full stack engineer is a journey, which is why I titled this podcast the Full Stack Journey, because I think it's a it's if not lifelong, a certainly career long progression toward always developing, always learning. And um I certainly agree with your your idea or the or the name full stack kind of seeming somewhat limiting, but unfortunately we're kind of constrained in what, what <laughs> terms people will understand. So we'll have to settle on that Absolutely. for, for now. Um, so in, in sharing your, your kind of your story, I think that you've, you've already kind of answered this next question, but let me just lay it out and we'll see if we can expand on a little bit. If we look at a full stack engineer as someone who's capable of working across multiple silos and moving among multiple layers, you know, not just constrained to one particular area and not just in infrastructure, but also looking at applications or orchestration or automation and all of those, uh, as your career progressed, you talked about moving from an application software development, then into networking and then kind of now moving back. Did you sort of consciously or have you consciously made decisions about specific technologies you decided to pursue that you felt? prepared you, uh, made you more of a well-rounded, um, engineer? Yeah. So yeah, this is, um, this is a very, I guess, point in time question. Uh, for instance, if you asked me this question in say 2011 or so, I'd, I'd probably say, uh, you know, Cisco stuff that was at that time, that was what you know, I was really what I was looking forward to, to learning. I mean, back then I was, I, I think I was a bit disillusioned with, the software development stuff I had been exposed to at that point, uh, both in school and also in the workplace, at, I, I, there was something about it. It was just, it was, it was frankly a little boring. Uh, so at that point, I had seen just about enough about networking technologies where I was at the time to really be in awe, you know, of those that, that could do it. I viewed it as this this superpower that you oh you know you you know how the network works. Holy holy crap! You must be super smart. You know how's that how's that work? And uh, so. You know, I had enough. I had enough folks that were were talking to me about the Cisco route switch track, and back then the data center track didn't exist, but this was uh, 2011, so it was it was close. 
And, uh, you know, this resulted in me, you know, after a few, uh, after a year or so of studying, resulted in me spending the next, uh, four years or so doing network consulting, you know, but first traditional enterprise campus and land edge kind of stuff. And then, and then later a lot more in the data center. But, you know, around 2014, that's when I started to get exposed to some of the really cool, you know, new things going on back in my old camp software development. Uh, containers were starting to get to get uh, you know buzzed about uh, automation frameworks were had had already been discussed for quite some time cloud it was cloud was at full full uh, full peak hype so there were a lot of talk about automation frameworks ansible was just about to get pop was was just about getting popular and it, and it struck me at the time because it was uh, it was it was way way different I mean, in a good way actually than what i had been exposed to thus far uh, back in you know back when I was learning sort of the the very fundamental basics in in school uh, and in my internship, so I, I stayed you know I, I stayed plugged into it as best as I could, and I actually had done a pretty good job of this throughout my network consulting, uh, just because I you know once you once you learn software development, I I think that there's a lot there's a lot that tries to pull you back in. It's just not something you can unlearn. So it's just I think for me personally, it just stayed interesting. So I, I brought these skills into my consulting job where. Uh, it made sense, but but oftentimes it kind of felt like trying to square, uh, you know, fit a square peg into a round hole. So, you know, almost a year ago, I I, I jumped fully back into software development, and again, and again, you know, the, this answer is is very point in time because I think what I'm trying to say is back in 2011, my 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 career was at a point where I was focusing mostly on getting into the base fundamentals of networking. And now I'm sort of trying to get, you know, back into software development. So it's really, I think if I could summarize the, the underlying, the common underlying topic there is, is that I'm always trying to move to that next area that, that I think is, is interesting enough to me to challenge myself. So, and so there's really no one technology that I decided to pursue because it sort of depends on what, at what point in my career I'm at. But obviously my interests lie in both software development and networking. And, you know, containers, that's a, that's a reasonably new topic these days. Obviously the underlying technology is not new, but, but what Docker brings to the table is, is pretty new. And so it's just, it really just depends on where, where you are in your career, what you're, what you select to, to pursue as part of, of part of that full stack journey. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. Uh, certainly given the progression of technology, the suggestions that someone might make at any given point in time would naturally change. So it makes a lot of sense that while you were moving from development into networking, your focus was on networking technologies. As you now move from networking back into software development, kind of marrying the two. So doing software development within a network infrastructure context, you have a different set of things. So let's, let's constrain this if we can just to this most recent sort of shift, if you will, in your own career. Sure. Um, because I think that that can, is something that can be applicable to, readers today, if we look at you moving from being sort of the quote unquote traditional network engineer, right? Into someone who is now moving and doing software development within a network infrastructure context, then the decisions and choices and technologies you see as strategic right now in this shift, I think may also be applicable for others. So you mentioned, you mentioned Docker certainly, and I think that's a topic that I'm going to probably talk to a lot of people about over the course of the life of this podcast, but what else in that? So looking again, kind of narrowing your scope to this current transition. And right now, if, if others were following in your footsteps, what are the specific sort of technologies that, that 
you're pursuing that you think would be applicable to others? Yeah, that, that's a great question. The, I think one of the, one of the areas that I've seen a lot of interest in and a lot of people, uh, people and organizations getting a lot of wins with is, I think, taking more ownership of the infrastructure. I think on the infrastructure side of things, we've, we've done, we've done a lot of work with, uh, Existing, you know, products, a lot of which are, are closed source, and that, you know, that's fine. There's a, there's a time and a place for that for sure. But I think uh, just specifically with the with the recent evolutions in the way that open source has really become, I think, more applicable and accessible than it ever has been before. There is there's a revised a revived interest and need to to take on a few more things than I think a lot of infrastructure folks are used to. And I'll give you an example, you know, like for, for, for us, and I, and I, and I know we talk about this a lot in our book, but you know, we, we, we discuss at length that you don't need to be a full time programmer in order to make use of some automation tooling and even some very high level programming languages such as Python uh, in order to get some quick wins. Uh, on, on the infrastructure side of things, you know, a lot of times we're, we're very used, to, uh, you know, I'm speaking, you know, I guess as a customer, but we're very used to going to a certain vendor or a certain partner for sort of the answer to every question. And there's a lot of places where that's absolutely appropriate, but there's also some places where coming up with your own, uh, personal, you know, custom tooling is, is useful or maybe adopting some of the tooling that somebody else has developed. Like I said, you know, the way that open source has, has evolved, this is, this is not something that's out of the question these days, whereas before it might not have been something, you know, super easy to get into. But I think, you know, if, if, if I was really going to talk about specific technologies, I would say definitely look into Python. Python's one of those cool languages where it's super powerful, but it's also, very easy, right? Very, very rarely do you get a language that makes things really, really easy from a user, from a usability perspective without compromising on, uh, you know, the, the, the robustness of the language and, and I guess the widespread adoption of, of what it can do. And so I would definitely look into that. Again, you don't need to be an expert at it and you certainly don't need to be a software developer, but Python's a great way to start. And, uh, if you haven't looked into any, you know, some of the open source automation frameworks, Ansible is a great example, but there's, there's quite a few others that are, that are coming out there. Um, you know, definitely look into those. Those are, those are, these, these, are, these projects and, and, and languages were actually built with user experience in mind. And I think that's just sort of unprecedented. And I think it's a great time to be involved with that kind of stuff. All right. So just, just to summarize for, for the listeners, if, if, if a listener is listening to this podcast and saying, okay, hey, I'm, I'm a network engineer and, and I know that I need to kind of evolve. I, I can't continue doing things the way that I've always done them moving forward. If I really want to be relevant and I really want to be adding a lot of value to my organization, the things that in your mind make a lot of sense are one looking at automation without necessarily needing to be a full-time programmer, you know, so, so looking for some small wins there specifically sure. looking at things like Python, looking at things like open source automation frameworks. And then you, of course you mentioned earlier looking at things like a little more application level, things like Docker, uh, mm-hmm. you, yeah, naturally that's going to lead somebody into some, some stuff with Linux and that sort of thing. Does that, oh, yeah. does that sound accurate? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you, re, uh, you brought up Docker again. Cause I, I, I left it out of this list unintentionally. I, it's, 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 it's difficult to really recommend that everybody look into Docker, just like it's difficult for me that, you know, I say that everybody look into Python, but I will say, you know, with, with Docker specifically, one of the things that it brings to the table for, from the development side of things is it, is it simplifies things from a deployment perspective. And we're actually starting to see, uh, a lot of network vendors 
come up with ways that you can leverage Docker within their products. So just from that perspective alone, it sort of serves, you know, I'm selfishly talking about network engineers for this for a second, but obviously this is widely applicable to other technical areas as well. But it, it, it sort of serves the network engineer very, very well to at least understand what value that brings. Just because the, the network vendors are starting to make the, make this as one of many tools that allow you to administer their products. So I think it's a good thing to learn too. Yeah. And, I, and I'm glad you, you mentioned to at least understand how it works because I think one of the concerns that I've heard around this idea of the full stack engineer and people needing to broaden their knowledge is that there's perhaps a misconception that we are recommending everybody be an expert in all these areas. And I think that's not really what we're shooting for. I think what we're shooting for is there are naturally going to be areas where you have very deep expertise. There may be multiple areas where you have very deep expertise, but you need to have a reasonable understanding and a reasonable knowledge of how these other things fit in to be able to really see how moving across silos or moving between layers is going to work and how it's going to affect you and how it's going to affect kind of your core responsibilities. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, it's funny, I, 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 I'm trying to get this blog post out that I, I've had this idea where we, we, we saw this evolution of where virtual machine, machines went in the past about five years. I, I saw this for the first time uh, about three years ago when I was working with a customer who we were deploying some, some VMware tech for them and I was working on the network above it. But, uh, a good friend of mine was doing the VMware stuff, so we always, you know, played with each other's technologies and and just you know sort of crossed that fence. But the the uh, the customer was was using the the infrastructure for running their existing server workloads, things like you know Exchange and Active Directory, but they were also using it as sort of a pool of resources for their developers to use. And that really struck me as 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 sort of different because just up until then, I'd I'd viewed virtual machines by and large as this way of running exchange basically that's what i had been exposed to at that point but this was sort of the first time that i'd seen it used sort of as a developer um i guess resource and i think there's a lot of value in taking that paradigm into the container ecosystem a lot of non-developers i've seen and talked to sort of write off uh docker as oh that's you know that's useful for development and obviously docker answers quite a bit of a problem on the development side of things but it, it really is sort of the same kind of thing where it, it, it becomes just sort of a carrier for what the developer is trying to do. And so what, what the, and this is, this, this is really evident if you look at some of, uh, the early presentations on Docker where they make the, uh, the shipping crane analogy where there's a, there's a crane reaching down and grabbing the container and, and moving with it. The crane doesn't care what's in the container. It just sort of, it just sort of works. And I think there's a lot of value in, in those folks moving to understand how that next generation, uh, huge air quotes here, but crane works. But, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's just another way of doing the exact same thing. So you don't necessarily have to know how, how to use Docker from a developer perspective, but you certainly should know why it solves their problems and how you interface with that. Cause that's sort of what our job is going to be as infrastructure folks going forward. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I, and I think that this, this sort of cross pollination, whereas you, if you are a network professional or if you're a server professional and you begin to look at how tools like Docker solve problems for developers, then I think that it may also hopefully spark some ideas about are there ways that you can use this technology to solve problems within your discipline that may make you more effective or more efficient. Mm-hmm. In, in in really adding value to the organization and, and to your own career. Oh, yeah. So 
looking at this this kind of current transition, I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, were there, and, and this is a really odd question, but bear with me if you will, are, were there sort of specific technical challenges that you found in in making the sort of journey that you've made? And, and the reason I ask that is a lot of times when I'm talking to folks and I'm telling them, hey, you really need to do X or Y or Z or whatever the case may be, they, they, they kind of throw up these barriers like, oh, I can't, it's too hard, or I don't know where to get started, or you know, I, yeah. I tried and I ran into this hurdle. And so I'm, I'm just curious if, if you as someone who is making and has made some fairly significant transitions – across disciplines within your career, if there were sort of specific technical challenges you found and what those were. And then as a follow on question, and I'll, I'll re I'll ask that question again later, but as a follow on question, how, how you help to address those. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, with, I guess with respect to network automation specifically for just for a second, you know, I think one of the biggest hurdles there is, that in in many ways we're sort of making this up as we go along. Uh, I mean, some vendors they like to say they've addressed the the network automation problem or or have an answer for that, and and that's you know there's 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 certainly use cases for that. But the truth is that those things are usually very limited in scope. Uh, they they typically only uh, the the network if you call it the network huge air quotes there. But there's there's a lot to a network, and and everything that I've seen thus far addresses really just one area successfully. And, uh, you know, I'm personally of the opinion that, and that's great, by the way. I don't want to, I don't want to downplay those. Those obviously those solve very important, uh, very, very important challenges where they're, where they're focused. But again, I think we need more, you know, holistic answers, uh, from a networking perspective. You know, I take the approach that these kind of things, uh, if you really, really want to have value here and you really want to solve business challenges, this is something that an organization sort of, you know, has to work out themselves. I mean, let's just look at OpenStack, right? So OpenStack has, it has evolved to this big, uh, project that, you know, everybody, everybody talks about and, and still we, we, we experience problems when we try to adopt it natively and, and, and we all inevitably figure out that, oh, so you need, you need a lot more than just, you know, a guy that install or a guy or gal that installs it and, and gets it running. There's a lot more to it because the way that these things are written is they're designed for, for organizations that have that internal business case for having more control of their own infrastructure. And for that use case, it actually works really, really well. But, you know, networking, I think, still has to learn that lesson. I think, you know, I, again, I take the approach, this is something that an organization sort of has to work out for themselves. So for me, you know, one of those big challenges has been coming up with ways to make some of these network automation topics, you know, very relatable and practical, despite the fact that from a technical perspective, we've really not done anything like this before. Um, just like, you know, we've never really operated private clouds before, you know, about five years ago, this is sort of a new topic. It's just kind of a weird, weird thing to figure out. So we all sort of collectively learned that lesson together. And I think networking has to go through that same transition. And so from that perspective, you know, it's been challenging for me to, to, to figure out how best to take these completely new topics, I think for the most part, and make them very relatable and practical. That's been difficult for me. Uh, one thing specifically is that my totally, you know, unintentional career path has resulted in me learning both networking technologies and software development, uh, sort of in parallel. 
you know, I don't know this for sure, but I feel like it would have been a little bit easier to focus on just one thing for about seven years and get really good at it. And then maybe, you know, pick up the other uh, over some time as well. But in retrospect, I absolutely don't regret the way that it worked out. I really do enjoy uh, bridging the gap between, you know, traditional networking and software development. But it, but it was challenging. And I think if you, if, if you, if I were to, you know, talk to myself about five years ago, I would say just stay the, stay the course. This is, this is going to work out. Uh, it, it does, it does get a little depressing along the way just because you, you tend to think, you know, there's so much out there. There's no way I'm going to know all of this. And I'm absolutely not saying I know all of this, uh, all of it at this point. I, I actually, in some ways I feel worse about that, but it, it is a journey. And if you keep reminding yourself that, I think you'll, you'll be fine. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really good information. And I particularly appreciate the, the, the honesty, the truth, I think that a lot of people don't admit, and that is that as an, as an industry, a lot of the stuff is being made up as we go along. Mm-hmm. The idea of having large-scale network automation tools is new. The idea of applying certain techniques from other disciplines into networking or other or disciplines from networking into other areas is new. You know, So I think that's really important that this is an evolving area and it is going to change. Um, so kind of going back to that follow on question, then as, as you kind of made that transition and, and, and perhaps it, it would help us to structure the conversation around some of the specific things that we mentioned earlier, like specific technologies that you think would be helpful given this, this point in time for people to pursue, you know, what sort of tools or, or, or ideas or methods would you, have you used, or perhaps would you recommend somebody to use? So for example, if somebody is saying, Hey, I hear all these folks out there telling me that I should, I should learn some basics around Python. Mm-hmm. Where does someone start? Right. Or if, if, if you say, Hey, they keep saying you need to learn the basics of how Docker works. Where does somebody start? And where did you, and, and the easiest way to answer that perhaps maybe just say, where did you start? Yeah, sure. So I, if you're talking about specific technologies, uh, you mentioned Python and, and and Docker. We've talked about as well. I think it's important to come up with an objective there for yourself. Specifically, you know, if I'm going to learn Python, what is going to be the outcome of this? You know, we we go through and I and I put my brother, my little brother, he's ten years younger than me. I put him through the Code Academy stuff on Python, and and that stuff is great. The, the, the work that they've done on, on making that super interactive and interesting is fantastic. But one of the things that's, that's missing from the, you know, code, everybody needs to learn how to code conversation is, 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 is why, uh, you know, what, what are you going to do with this skill? I mean, it's, 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 it's important, I think, to not try to put the cart before the horse and, and figure out the total game plan before you even do anything. So certainly don't let this advice hold you back from getting started. If you just want to dive in and learn the, and learn the, and learn the language, then please just do it. But, I find, for me personally, it's helpful to, while I'm jumping in with both feet and 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 not really understanding what it is that I'm trying to build, have at least a game plan for how I'm going to leverage this skill set, whether it's in my career or maybe a personal project that I want to build or, or whatever. Uh, it really doesn't even need to be perfect. As long as you have an idea of how you're going to use it, then I think that'll help you. But in terms of what was useful for me, you know, obviously... You know, there are a myriad of incredibly helpful blogs out there that, you know, focus on the areas that I find technically interesting right now. Uh, and I'd be remiss if I didn't call out yours, Scott. I know I have quite a few of your posts bookmarked in Chrome and, oh my, a multitude more have passed through my pocket list over the years. 
but uh you know i'm a i'm a very hands on learner so so generally speaking i've been i've been pretty self taught i mean I, I went through the four years of college to get a lot of the fundamentals but with respect to a lot of the new technologies that are out there again i i really just had to start you know playing with stuff and and writing about it on my blog uh to really make things you know click i mean if you took my last job where i was doing uh consulting at an infrastructure var I, I really had no technical reason at, at all to learn about you know containers or software development, but I did it because a you know I knew it was something I could get into because I had some history there, so it wasn't really that you know large of a pill to swallow for me personally. And at b you know I found these topics very easy to write about because again I had some history there. You know my blog has been one of the only resources, learning resources, to last for as as many years as it has for me personally. You know, I think in a few months it'll be six years that it's been published. Maybe not at the current domain, but it's been you know on the internet at least. And uh, you know, also these days I'm finding that it's it's super useful to write code and 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 also blog posts for others to use. You know, I'm doing obviously I'm doing a lot of this you know more at the day job, and in uh, 2016 I'm hoping to push some of my personal projects into the light. My GitHub profile has definitely been a lot quieter this year since that job change. But, you know, maybe if I could translate this to something a little more generic, I'd encourage everyone to put, you know, put something out there that can be seen publicly. You know, I've learned so much from opening myself up to the community technically. It can, it can get a bit rough at times, especially, you know, if I get something really, really wrong and someone corrects me, it's, it is quite embarrassing. But, but overall, you know, my experience has been that everyone's very constructive. Um, and I, you know, I just end up improving anyways. Um, and, and I'm putting myself out there at the same time. So it's really a win-win. Oh, okay. Awesome. That's, that's really good information. So let me just, I want to, I want to highlight a couple of the, of the key points that I heard and make sure that, that, that listeners really get this. Cause I think there's some really great nuggets in, in that answer. And, and by the way, thank you for the, for the good feedback on my site. Um, it sounds like there's, there's a, a few different things. One, I've, I've heard a lot of people recommend code Academy, so that's great. And certainly one thing that I'm one kind of recurring theme that I'm hearing from talking uh, with a lot of different folks is just get started. You know, go ahead and dive in, do something. Hands-on appears to be you know, a, a huge thing, um, and, and I'm, a, I'm a hands-on learner as well, so I can, can completely identify with that. I did really think that the idea of saying, uh, I liked your phrasing, while jumping in with both feet, have a game plan in mind, and that kind of, to, in my head, that comes back to uh, David Allen's, uh, you know, getting things, no, 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 it's not David Allen's getting things done, it's... um. Uh, seven habits of highly effective people, Stephen Covey. Mm. And it was, it was a start with the end in mind. All right. And, and it sounds like that would be applicable here. And that is, Hey, there's nothing wrong with jumping in to, to learn, you know, some sort of language, whether it be Python or whatever they all say is Python seems to be the rage all these days. And I completely agree with that. And it seems to be the right balance of uh, a low enough learning curve, but a powerful enough language that you can, you can get started relatively easily and still do something really, really useful. Um, I would share from my own experience that if you don't start with that sort of goal in mind of how you're going to put this to work, it'll become more difficult the farther you go. Like you can, might, you might get in and get going, but then as you start to ramp up, you really need to have that purpose to drive your, your learning experience. Yeah. I mean, like I, I actually, just the way you said that just now reminded me of some of the experiences I had in, in, uh, in college where there were quite a few people and I'm not sure I, this may be true for a lot of people, but uh, my personal experience in college is there were quite a few people in my graduating class that, that were of the opinion, or I guess maybe not verbally, but they, they seemed to, they seemed to think that the role of, of education was to just sort of dump everything that you 
could possibly need to know and 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 learn to be successful uh, into your head in the course of four or five years. And I and I and I I think there's there's a parallel there with all of what we just talked about uh, because nothing will answer everything for you. Uh, Code Academy will not teach you everything you will ever need to know to be a a, a good developer. I think just like with college and and you know any any education whatsoever, the the point is here are here's how to get started. Right, you need to own this. This is not. This is not. You know, this course is not. You pay money and become successful. This course is you. You pay money or or don't pay money. A lot of stuff is free, and you get a starting point. But you have to use those tools to to grow on. You know, you have to build on top of those tools. You have to be able to have a game plan of how you do those things. So I, I think the advice of jump in first. Don't let the the game plan or I guess lack of game plan stop you from just getting started because that's perfect. That's actually one of the biggest challenges is a lot of folks, you know, who come to me saying, Matt, you know, how do I get how do I get started blogging? And I'm just like, well, you know, get it published. <laughs> that's that's really the best first step. But but over time, definitely, definitely keep in mind where is this going? You know, as you're going through like the Code Academy examples, when Code Academy tells you to print Hello World, what they're really telling you is here's how you could print something else too. And you got to keep that use case in mind later. You know, you, you, these are not, this is not the, the big picture. This is something that you're sort of being told to, to build upon. I think that's applicable in all kinds of areas. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I think that, you know, if, if I were to distill down into some real, you know, concrete takeaways for the listeners, it would be, you know, just get started. There's don't, don't, don't let the, the, the lack of, a, of an ultimate goal in mind prevents you from getting started. It's sort of like saying, oh, I'm going to do X as soon as I'm ready to do X, but you always have some reason why you're not ready to do X. And really, we just need to go ahead and get started. And then that will that process of jumping in, getting started will help you become ready. Um, and there's a variety of examples I could use there, getting married, having a baby, et cetera, et cetera, all of which you can experience <laughs> yeah. in, in due time. But... <laughs> But I think so, so just get started. But as, as you get started, keep that end goal in mind, how it is you're going to apply that technology in your current day job or for your own career development or for the, the job that you want to, to attain down the road. One of my other guests on the, on the show was a gentleman moving from being a Microsoft centric individual to more of a cloud native centric individual and he's still on that journey of getting there, right? And uh, his all his decisions are, how do I get ready to attain that job that I don't have yet, right? So that sure. might be something that you're looking at as well. Oh, absolutely. But it sounds, I mean, I know I'm not done with the journey. I don't think I ever will be. I don't think anybody will be. I, I personally agree. I, like, as I said earlier, I think it's a, it's a lifelong, if not career-long sort of thing. But um, yeah, so the, the, the key takeaways, you know, there, there are some great resources, Code Academy, blogs. Um, are, are there any sort of specific individuals, uh, you know, maybe people on Twitter or particular blogs that you want to call out? I know there's, there's a ton of them and, and I completely get that. And if you don't mention somebody, then whoever that is that don't, doesn't get mentioned, don't feel bad because there's just too many <laughs> to mention, but were there any that particularly uh, kind of stood out to you as, as very, very helpful in a particular area? Well, it's not just cause I'm on your podcast, but you would be the first to my mind uh, personally. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, uh, it, the, I, I'm still just in utter, you know, awe of the amount of content and good quality content, not nonetheless that you, that you put out there. 
The uh, if I could expand, I guess on that on that list, uh, I would include our our illustrious co-author Jason Edelman. He's he's kicking ass and taking names right now uh, in doing a lot of network automation consulting. Uh, so I would definitely, if you're, if you're looking, you know, selfishly, I'm looking at, you know, network infrastructure and automation. If you want somebody to come in and sort of help, help you understand how that starts and how to get started there, uh, definitely reach out to Jason. Uh, and then there's, you know, there's, uh, man, I, I could go on, but I, I probably shouldn't. There's, there's, there's a ton of other people. Uh, if you, you know, if you, if you follow one of the three of us, you know, on, let's say Twitter, uh, I guarantee, uh, you know what? I will call out Kirk Byers. Kirk Byers has done a lot of work. In the network automation, specifically with Python, uh, he 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 does a he does both a free and a paid email course for learning Python from the perspective of network engineering, and I think that's really really cool. If you've already tried to jump into network automation specifically, so yeah, you know you want to learn Python, but you you know you want to do that in a networking context, kind of like what I've done, then I would definitely look into what Kirk offers. Uh, but so yeah, if you start with those four people, I would I would say one of us will. We'll at least retweet something useful, if not come up with some original content of our own, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And then one of the things that I personally have found helpful, and I imagine you have as well, is that once you get into a particular community, uh, whether this be network automation or OpenStack or VMware or whatever it is, whatever it is that you're focusing on as part of your journey to expanding your skill set and, and being able to move across silos and among layers of the, of the data center stack – you'll be able to kind of explore like, you know, okay, who, who does Matt follow? Right. And then the people that Matt follows, who do they follow? And mm -hmm. you can begin to, you can begin to follow that thread and, and find sort of the key influencers, the key people who are really, really sharing useful content and, and not just, you know, tweeting junk, um, which, yeah, yeah, we actually are. I, I, it's worth mentioning. We are still a very, very close knit community. This is not a thousands and thousands of people. This is, uh, I don't want to put a number behind it, but we we all sort of know each other, and that kind of speaks to the the number of people that are out there that that do this. So we're all very approachable. None of us, yeah, you know, I don't. I think I don't think most of us uh, are very approachable, and uh, it's just it's just really easy to get into. There's really no excuse for that. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. So, kind of looking back on it, I, I heard you say, you know, you you were kind of doing networking and development in parallel, perhaps at the same time. It might have been useful to focus on one and then then do the other. Although, you know, sure. again, with with the with the benefit of hindsight, you look back on it and say, okay, this is the right path to take. But looking looking back at some of the approaches that you've taken or the tools that you've used or or anything of that nature, again through the lens of hindsight. And that, that phrase, you know, hindsight always has 2020 vision. Is mm -hmm. there anything that you would have done differently now? Would you have changed up your use of tools or techniques or methods? Would you have spent more time hands-on, less time hands-on, taking a different approach, anything of that nature that perhaps that wisdom is something you can share with the listeners saying, hey, looking back on how I did this, I might recommend you do this instead. Something of that nature? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I think I actually did really, really well. Uh, with the hands-on piece, I think I learned early on. That's how I that's how I learned. So I, I sort of stuck with that. So that's I don't think that's a that was a a regret. But I would say I personally would have focused if I if I did go back in time, aided by the benefit of hindsight, I would have focused uh, I think a lot more on the fundamentals. Uh, and I you know five I've been out of college for four years, so I I think I think I caught this somewhat early, but. You know, I personally would have focused a lot more on the fundamentals, and I and I and, you know I think it's I think it's super normal. I guess as it's just you know I, I have a lot of experience as a network consultant. I think it's super normal in that context to focus you know maybe on specific platforms and and vendors. You know, I mean that's what customers 
you know, largely pay consultants, you know, specifically VARs, uh, to do. Uh, that's sort of the big thing there. But I think, uh, a, a potential problem with this is that, you know, I, th- I think we as human beings really, really like to learn up. Uh, it's sort of my informal term for it, meaning, uh, we, we always, we're always looking for the next challenge up from, uh, where we're currently looking at. And this is, again, within the confines of my personal experience over the past four years. I'll just use, you know, I, I got my CCNA, I think it was, what, 2011? And the next step for me was the CCNP. That was the natural evolution of that particular certification. That's what important, that was what was important to me. And eventually the CCIE, which I never pursued, but that was the never, that was the, that was the, I guess, the next phase. And, you know, if you're focused on a specific discipline, you know, or technology stack or, or vendor, you, you tend to, because of that upward direction, you tend to continue to stay in that technical area if you're just moving up. Now, of course, there's always exceptions to the rules, certainly, but I think that's just sort of, I guess, the native tendency. That's just what the next step is in most cases. But the cool thing about starting with some of the fundamentals, such as how does the Linux kernel work? Uh, what is the difference between the heap and the stack when it comes to, you know, writing code? What is, what is an algorithm? How do I write one of those? You know, these, these fundamentals can apply to, I believe they can apply to just about anything, uh, when it comes to IT, because you can use these fundamentals to really, really understand what's going on behind the scenes when it comes to those specific implementations, which there's definitely a time and a place for that. But when you, I think when you start with the fundamentals, there really, really is no way to go but but up. Everything branches out from that lower level, um, you know, technology. Again, you know, just sort of as you alluded to right at the beginning, you certainly don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be a kernel developer or anything of that <laughs> nature um, in order to check this box, you know, so to speak. But but I I, I think it's highly highly important to be able to at least understand the 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 anatomy of some of these fundamentals be able to speak to them, have some basic competency there. Because then everything, every, every other specific platform and technology can, I believe, be sort of extrapolated from that first step. Yeah, that's, that's a great suggestion and certainly something. I think that there's a natural momentum to learning uh, a path of least resistance, if you will. Once you get going down a path, if you are a networking professional or if you are uh, a virtualization professional, if you started with a particular thing and that's where you got started, there's sort of a natural tendency, almost like uh, you know one of Newton's laws of motion. If you start in a particular discipline, you tend to stay in a particular discipline. If you start with a particular vendor, you tend to stay with a particular vendor and there has to be a certain amount of effort to break out of that to make a transition. So if we start on more vendor agnostic fundamentals, then from there, we can begin to see how specific implementations of those fundamentals can apply in different areas. Is that a reasonable summary of what you just said? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I actually super, I really sympathize with the, the I guess it, it tends to seem sort of like a downward motion. If you've, if you've just attained your CCIE, or maybe your VCDX, uh, you've reached that pinnacle of technical certification in your area. Uh, and then you're starting to look for other areas to get into and you look at maybe getting better as a sysadmin. So you look at the, the, the basically the 101 courses from the Linux Foundation. The, the, there, there is, I guess, sort of, um, it's, it's, it's kind of almost sad to say, I've been, I've been going, you know, super, super hard for this super, you know, super, uh, technical certification and now I'm, I've gotta go through the 101 class. You know, it's just sort of a, it seems like you're moving backwards. It seems like you're going, you know, going downwards, but, but it's just not the case. So I, I sympathize with that, but I would encourage everybody to, to really think of it as a, as a, as a movement upwards 
even though it seems like they might not be moving up. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think that's, that's a key piece because I think that we're going to have a lot of listeners who have developed a, a great deal of expertise in one particular area, whether that be virtualization or networking or storage or, or development or, or anything of that nature. And when they go to branch out, because I believe that they desperately do need to branch out, they're going to feel as if they are starting all over again. And they're going to feel, well, for lack of a better term, they're going to feel stupid. <laughs> and it's it's part of the natural process of learning. It's it's okay to go back and do those 101 classes in this new area because that doesn't invalidate the expertise and the experience that you've gathered and that you've earned and that you're now just building upon as you expand your, your overall knowledge base. Yeah, for sure. So shifting now, perhaps taking a little more of an advisory role, there's a lot of people out there that I believe need to make the sort of leap that you have made and are making the sort of leap that, you know, I myself am, am, am making as well and in, in transitioning in my own career and my own skill set. what sort of advice, and, and we've, we've had some nuggets along the way. I mean, you know, just get started for one, mm -hmm. you know, have a game plan in mind, but is there anything else that you might tell po folks who are just getting started? Hey, watch out for this or be sure to do that that you think would be would be useful. And, and again, this is a very, very broad topic, so feel free to constrain that to your own personal experience. Sure, sure. Yeah, uh, well, so I have I have some thoughts, I guess, on the on the advice on on making the leap, but the 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 idea of avoiding potholes got me onto a thought. I would highly advise that uh it, within the context of IT, stay away from I guess I don't want to use the term religion because that sort of has a connotation unto its own. But the, the idea behind what I guess that that term implies, which is these absolute statements of of how something works without really any, um, I guess, technical justification. I, I, let me put some meat on on that for a second. You know, there's a lot of uh, we 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 have a lot of technical journalism around this industry and a lot of absolute statements being made saying, you know, such and such solves this problem, such and such doesn't scale, such and such has these problems, blah, blah, blah. I think we, I think we as an industry could do a lot better in that area, specifically around if there is a problem, like come with data, come with proof, come with, um, you know, we need to be better scientists. I think we need to be a little more aware of, of why we're doing certain things uh, and maybe not doing certain things, not just because so and so said that it doesn't work, but 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 experimenting, you know, breaking things and and coming up, you know coming up with our own hypotheses and and actually running our own experiments to prove them out. I think we we could do a lot better with that. So if if you're getting into this and you're you're wondering what area you should get into, um, it almost doesn't matter as long as you keep that in mind. There are a lot of absolute statements being made around the around the industry. Just sort of come up with your own answers. I would recommend don't don't fall into the pothole of. You know, I don't want to get into this area because so and so says that it's that it's a dead technology. For instance, that's that's somebody else defining your destiny, and I think that that's that that's foolish. I think you should define your own destiny. But other than that pothole, that's a big pothole of mine. A little bit of a soapbox. I'll step down from now. But I think in terms of advice to making the leap, the this you know this goes back to I think my answer sort of on blogging and, and maybe even writing code if that's if that's your your interest. Writing doing all these things publicly for others to see. You know, I really do recommend that you put yourself out there and and actually try to get corrected. 
uh, I can't remember who said it. Uh, I think it might have been Greg Farrow, uh, although he might have been quoting somebody as well. But but the the, the quote, uh, try to be right, expect to be wrong, uh, I think is an extremely powerful piece of advice that I would pass on. Not my not my quote. I'll I won't take credit for that. But I think you know I I know this is really scary. And I would like to preface this by saying you certainly should put your best effort behind your public work. You know, I mean, you should be proud of what you put out there, but, but don't spend so much time trying to perfect it because you're afraid of, you're so afraid of being corrected that you hold yourself back. You know, I, I think the simple thought that, that you know you're going to put something out there publicly will do wonders for the technical accuracy and quality of your work. Uh, and for the times that you do make mistakes and you will make mistakes, I believe the right people will chime in. Uh, and and help you grow. So in in summary, I would just say always be challenging yourself. You know, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. I think that's just a fact. Uh, if you feel you're stagnating, you probably are. So don't be scared to change things up to keep yourself moving forward. You know, this may mean a job change, but it, it may not. I think this is something you need to figure out for yourself. But as long as you're always pushing yourself, I don't think you can really go wrong. Yeah, that's great. I, I love the the viewpoint of watching out for that pothole of these absolute statements. And I I completely agree. It is important that we not accept things as fact until we've done a little bit of research and found out for ourselves, you know, is that somebody's opinion or is that something that's proven in some fashion, some reasonable sort of test that, you know, made sense, not, not a, you know, wild made up thing to, to prove somebody's uh, erroneous statement. Uh, so that that was that was good. I like that. Um, there's also a phrase I think in 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 hearing you talk about you know putting yourself out there and not being afraid to put yourself out there. There's a phrase that I have heard in the past, and again, I won't take any attribution for this, but it, it's perfection is the enemy of good. And I think that if you That's are, great. yeah, I love that. I love that phrase. I think that if you are trying to get started in something, and 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 particularly so. If you are coming from an area where you you have a lot of expertise, you know maybe maybe you're 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 that that gal with the CCIE with multiple CCIEs, and now you're trying to get started with with Python. I don't know. I'm just throwing a couple things out there, right? Maybe you're trying to get started in in you know virtualization with OpenStack. Whatever doesn't matter. Sure. And and you think you know I'm I'm really really good in this area, and here I have this other thing over here, and it needs to be just as good, but you're so focused on the, for lack of a better term, the perfection that you're preventing yourself from just being, being good. You're, you're, you're not willing to make that progress because you're, you're holding yourself to too high of a standard. Um, I think that's something that, that perhaps people who are trying to expand their, their knowledge base from one area into another struggle with. I know it's something that I have struggled with and a good friend of mine has helped me kind of work through that. It might be something that I need to get on the podcast. And now that I think about it, but um, great, great, great advice for people who are out there getting started. So we're, we're getting ready to wrap up. We're almost out of time, but I do want to ask just just one last question. So sure. again, current point in time, you know, what are you? What is really, really interesting to you right now? Yeah, yeah, sure. I, so I, I've mentioned this a few times. I think I think containers, uh, the, all of the all of the technologies around containers. Uh, Docker being one of them, but there's a few other projects I'll mention here shortly. I think this is all uh, very important to learn to to be aware of at least. Uh, but you know, more specifically, you know, still since I still sort of run with the uh, the network infrastructure community for the most part, uh, at, you know, until they realize that I've gone full developer and kicked me out. Uh, I think 
you know, container infrastructure is, it, it's just, it's just a big deal. And I use the term container infrastructure specifically, um, because, because it sort of harkens back to sort of like the story I was telling about, about the, the, the evolution of, of virtual machines to being more and more of a pool of resources for developers. We saw this transition, uh, in these, in these past few years. And now we're seeing projects such as Kubernetes that are going to be sort of a natural extension of that evolution when it comes to containers, right? So infrastructure folks will need to step up and uh, and learn these projects so, you know, they can offer the same kind of services to developers regardless of what the underlying tool is. Could be a Docker container, could be a virtual machine, whatever. I think it's just important that infrastructure folks understand that their role in this is to provide those services. But, uh, you know, more than that, though, I think we should be paying more attention to uh, good discipline and, and quality work when it comes to infrastructure technologies. You know, we, the, uh, we, the, the, the industry likes to focus on these huge blockbuster, blockbuster projects and, and products, uh, particularly, again, particularly in this industry. But I think we need to focus, I think, a little more on, on writing our own destiny with smaller, more digestible improvements. I mean, if you look at some of the ways that DevOps, the DevOps communities have talked about continuous improvement and continuous learning, they, they, they want to mitigate, you know, mitigate the risk of taking on a huge project and, uh, mitigate the, the potential failure of that huge project by making all projects and improvements much, much smaller. And as a result, your, your failures are much smaller and much less risky. And I think there's, there's some lessons to be learned there, uh, on the infrastructure side of things, you know, with the way that open source and automation tooling has exploded in the past few years, there's, you know, there's really no excuse to not start to at least answer some of our own questions. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And I think there's probably even a, a deeper, more philosophical discussion that could be had about our own development as it professionals and and making those potential failures smaller um that's something i'll have to I'll have to think about a little bit you've given me a good piece of information to to uh dwell on and, and maybe yeah. do some brainstorming on there may be a blog post out of that that's cool all right so we are just about out of time this has been a fabulous conversation matt i really really appreciate uh you taking the time if folks who are listening want to look at some of the stuff that you're doing, um, where can they find you online? Blog, GitHub, Twitter, whatever. Sure. Yeah. So my blog is uh, keepingitclassless.net. Uh, if you want to check check that out, I would I would not fight you on that. That's I think I've I've written about a few things that interest me. Not uh, not a lot of posts lately. I've been I think my software development work has has uh, has satisfied my need to write a little bit. So my pace has slowed down a little bit. But uh, I still do try to tend to that when when possible. Twitter is another great way to get in contact with me. Probably the best way, actually. And my handle is Mirdin M I E R D I N. I do have a podcast that I that I have a a, a breakneck pace on. We publish uh, every six months or so, so it's uh, it's a hard job, but somebody's got to do it. And that's uh, the classy block uh, classyblock.com. Uh, so definitely check that out. And I would actually, if I, if I, if I, if you don't mind, I'd like to just mention, uh, that one of the problems, if, if you're talking about the full stack engineer evolution, there's, there's this thing called imposter syndrome where you see everything that everybody's go, everybody's doing and you feel like you just simply are not able to, to keep up. You, you're involved with these things, but no matter what you do, there's always something that somebody else is doing that you, that you wish you could do. Um, I struggle with this a lot myself. And I, and I, if you, if you have any, if you have any feelings on this, please reach out to me on Twitter. I'd love to talk to you about that because I think it's, I think it's a big problem when you're, when you're making these, when you're making these evolutions, it's one of the biggest hurdles to, to doing this. So please reach out to me. I'd love to talk about it. 
Yeah, no, I, I'm, I am really glad you mentioned that, Matt, because that is certainly something that I think a lot of listeners are going to deal with. And, and as I have made my own transition from being a, a very VMware-centric individual with a great deal of, of expertise and experience in that realm into other areas, it has certainly been something that I have wrestled with as well. So feel free to hit either one of us, either Matt or myself on Twitter, if that's something that you are dealing with. And I think it is something that a lot of our listeners will um, deal with it. So awesome. Great. Thank you again uh, so much, Matt. Uh, folks who are listening, thank you for joining us. I uh, can't tell you how thankful I am that you've given us uh, almost an hour of your time now to to listen to us talk about the journey to being a full stack engineer. Uh, I, I do appreciate any and all feedback. So if you have feedback on the show, feel free to hit me on Twitter at, uh, at Scott underscore low, or you can visit me online. Uh, my website is blog.scottlow.org. You're more than welcome to contact me or view any of my information either way. And that is it for another episode of the full stack journey. Thanks everyone and have a great day.